Lucian was a Greek orator uh, who lived and died immediately after the days of the apostles from about 120 A.D. to 180 or 200 A.D., depending on your sources. He was a good speaker, but he never reached the first rank of his chosen profession. And somewhat disillusioned and a bit embittered, he gave up public speaking and he began a career as a writer. He had a caustic and malevolent wit, and he satirized nearly every aspect of human behavior. Christianity was one of his many targets. Uh, he attacked it in his writings, but no more, I think, than he did other things in general. He had a low opinion of Christians, but he had a low opinion of most people. We weren't a special target. We were just one of many. And all the same, he was no friend of the faith, which makes one of his observations particularly telling. He was not trying to promote it, but, but one aspect of our faith simply amazed him. And he wrote these words. It is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. Their first legislator, meaning Jesus, has put it into their heads that they are brethren. And the church father, Tertullian, who lived at the time of Lucian, makes a similar observation when he said, It is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Look, they say, how they love one another. Look how they are prepared to die for one another. And what amazed Lucian the skeptic was something which Tortillian took for granted. I don't mean that he was uh, ungrateful for it. Not at all. Uh, he was grateful. But he understood that to be a Christian meant one loved other Christians to the utmost. They loved each other like family. It was the norm. It was something not unusual, at least among the believers, which is a really good introduction to our text today. Paul, writing to the Romans, tells them to love each other with a special kind of love and in a special way. And then he goes on to tell them some other things which, because of that love, ought to characterize their lives as believers in Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you to join me once again in the book of Romans, chapter 12, uh, where we're going to be looking today particularly at verses 10 through 13 as we continue our study. And of course, the text will be on the uh, screen on either side of me. Now, verses 9 through 21 of this chapter constitute a unit. And last week, we looked at just two verses. We, the first one and the last one, which we can think of as kind of bookends. Verse 9 serves as a section heading reminding of us that our love as Christians must be real or, or genuine. And, and that idea really, in a sense, permeates uh, in one manner or another the rest of the passage. And then in verse 21, there's a summary and a call to action telling us that evil is defeated only by good. And between those two verses, we are told how we ought to treat others, whether they are inside or outside the faith. In 
verses 10 through 13 focuses on those who are inside the faith. Now, before I go on, I need to caution you. Our our passage today seems simple, and it's not hard to understand, but there's a depth to this passage which can be easily overlooked. And there are two things we need to be aware of if we're to have a real appreciation of the passage we're looking at today. The first one is is we're not native Greek speakers, and of course you know that. But it it does put us at somewhat of a disadvantage, especially with this text. The the New Testament was written in Greek, and, and the Greek here is nuanced. It has to be treated carefully. And that means, that I have to do some explanation, which is always hard to do and, uh, and requires an effort on your part if you're to understand. And, and secondly, there, there's a certain historical context to this passage, which when understood, helps us appreciate it more fully. And again, that requires patience on your part as we talk about these things. But if you stay with me as we, as we make our way through the Word today, I think you'll have a better appreciation, not only of the text, uh, but of the historic Christian faith which we share. And we're going to begin with verse 10, where the theme of genuine love uh, permeates this portion of the Bible and is applied directly to those inside the faith. So we read in the NIV, Be devoted to one another in love. And the NAS has a similar uh, translation, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And we're going to stop right there for now. Now, I'm going to paraphrase this for you in a way uh, which I hope begins to capture the thought in the Greek. And I'm going to put it this way. When it comes to love for your Christian friends, Love each other as though you were biological brothers and sisters. Now, historically, this concept is unique to the Christians. Jews had uh, the idea that in some sense they were all brothers having a common ancestor. And and other groups too, such as the Essenes or or people of the same country or, or some other religious society, would also sometimes refer to themselves as brothers. And and you can think right now here of that term that we sometimes use, brothers in arms. But the idea of brotherly love, that special love you have for those people in your immediate family, applied to people who are not your biological or adopted family, is not found anywhere else but among Christians. One commentator put it this way, Christians saw themselves as a family in a special sense. God was their father and they were all brothers and sisters. Therefore, they were united in a love that other people only saw in those of the natural family. The love Christians had for one another was something people could understand because they saw it all around them, but not like this. The natural love they had for people in their immediate family, their their parents or their children, their brothers or their sisters, maybe aunts and uncles and grandparents and grandchildren, that love 
the Christians somehow had for one another. They loved each other like family. Now, do you know how that happens? Do you know how we can love one another like that? Well, first, it can only happen if we're born again into the family of God. All people are born into this natural life, but when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are born in our spirit. We are made alive spiritually. We become a part of God's family. God puts his life in us. And once we're a part of his family, we have the ability to love other Christians in this way. But it takes one more thing on our part. We must obey. We have to make a decision. We have to decide that we're going to love like that. Now, only Christians can make that decision and follow through with it because God's Spirit lives in us. We love other Christians as though they are part of our biological or adopted family because we obey God and, and we decide to love them in that way. Now, in, in my notes, as I studied this passage, I tried to understand what Paul was saying, and, and I wrote these words as a kind of paraphrase of the first part of verse 10. I wrote this. You know how we say we're brothers and sisters? Well, we mean it. Our love for each other must be like the love that you have for your biological family. And that happens when we obey God, when we decide to love in that way. Now, let me ask you something, and I want you to be honest here. Do you think that that might put this Christian love that we're talking about a little bit on the cold side? Well, let me be honest. Sometimes it does start out that way, a, a little cold, almost no more than a determination resembling a hard fact. But over the years, Christians have discovered a secret, and every believer who attempts to obey God here discovers it for himself or herself. And that is, is when we act as though we love someone, we end up really loving that other person, and with a love that is stronger than mere emotion. The love becomes so real and so strong that it can amaze someone as jaded as Lucian was. And the only reason this truth doesn't overwhelm you right now as you sit there is because it permeates our Christian thought. But to the world, to those on the outside, it is so unusual it often offends them. You and I, because we belong to Jesus Christ, must decide to love each other as though we are part of the same biological or adopted family. Now, now Paul adds to that thought in the next part of verse uh, 10, and he's really adding to it or clarifying what he just said. And in the English, the, the second half of verse 10 looks like a new sentence, but in the Greek we have participial phrases, and you don't need to know what those things are, uh, but what they are is something that modifies or describes something else in the sentence, okay? 
And here it modifies the thought we just looked at. Uh, we, we could put it this way. Uh, the kind of love we are talking about puts the other person first. As the second part of verse 10 says, honor one another above yourself. A Christian's love for other people is marked by putting the other person ahead of yourself. Now, I have to tell you, as I studied this passage, I couldn't tell if Paul was clarifying what he meant by this love or if he was adding to it. And what I mean is, Paul could be saying, a Christian's love for other believers is like your love for the family as you put their needs ahead of your own. Or he could be saying, our love is even better than that of your family member because we always put the other person first. Now, when I think about my relationship to the family I grew up in, I, I know I loved my mother and father and my brother. Uh, and I thought back then, and I still think today, that I could give my life for them. But I didn't always put them first. The conclusion I've arrived to is this. Our natural love, as good as it is, and it is a gift from God, it comes to us as an expression of His grace. That natural love can only take us so far, but the, the love which is born of the Spirit of God takes us all the way home. And maybe we should have expected that. I mean, the love which enables us to so love those who are not a part of our immediate family because they're believers, that's the same love that enables us to put others in front of ourselves, at least on a more consistent basis. And that, too is a matter of obedience. It is a matter of choice. So, you know that we say we're brothers and sisters. We, we mean it. Our love for each other must be like the love you have for your biological family, and even better, because we're going to put the other person first. Now, the text we're considering today is talking to us about the Christian life uh, that we sometimes refer to as the walk. And what follows verse 10 goes into more detail and describes that walk more fully. Verse 11 is similar in structure to verse 10, where you have a main sentence and modified this time by two <laughs> participial phrases. And just as we did with verse 10, we're going to do here, we're going to try to understand the main sentence first before we see how it's modified. Now, you may not see it right away when you look at verse 11, um, but it's telling you and I to be purposeful in our Christian walk without holding anything back. The NIV puts it this way, never be lacking in sin. That captures the idea pretty well. Be purposeful in your Christian walk and don't hold anything back. Now, what I want to do now is, is kind of a direct, more or less, word-for-word -word translation of the Greek for you. So, are you ready for this? This is what it says in the Greek. In haste, be not hesitating. 
And if you're like I was, you're saying to yourself, what are we, now what? <laughs> In haste, be not hesitating? Well, see, it becomes a little bit clearer when we remember, again, that the early Christians referred to their Christian life as their walk. Now, our culture understands that idea. You hear people, both Christians and non-Christians, saying things like that. You know, walk your talk, or don't just talk the talk, walk the walk, right? I mean, you've heard that. And it's not just the early Christians who thought that way, because they did. That same idea of walking as a picture of our faith has gone everywhere that Christians have gone down through the ages. And the image that gets painted vividly in your mind when you think of a Christian life as a walk and you hear Paul saying, in haste, be not hesitating. The picture you get is that of a man or a woman who is striding purposefully toward their goal without any hesitation, without compromising, not holding anything back. Never be lacking in zeal. Now, over the years, my wife, Ann, and I have had different meanings. Uh, We meant different things by the phrase going for a walk. Uh, To me, that means taking a stroll, (laughs) enjoying the fresh air, and even stopping and looking at one another as you make a point about something you've been talking about. Uh, To Ann, a walk is a march. It must be fast. There is no stopping. It's for exercise, and you talk only if you can breathe. (laughs) Now, I think a stroll has a lot to recommend it, but there is no doubt that Anne's idea of a walk better represents what we mean by the Christian life. It's purposeful. There is no hesitation. You have a goal, and you're heading for it. But then a march or exercise may not quite capture the meaning of a Christian walk either. I mean, yes, the Christian life is to be purposeful. And yes, we are not supposed to hesitate in living it out. We certainly are not going to compromise. But it's not meant to be dull or merely routine. And we know that by that first phrase in verse 11, which modifies what Paul just said. We are to walk with heart. Verse 11, live the Christian life with purpose and without compromise, but keep your spiritual fervor, Paul says. Or, as you live out your faith purposefully, without compromise, do it with heart. Now, someone may or may not approach Anne's way of going for a walk with heart. But my dad knows what walking with heart means. When he was a young guy, still living at home with his parents, he wanted to see my mom, he had to walk to her house. And it was 10 miles away. And he walked that 10 miles with heart because he wanted to see her. Now I imagine that return trip when he uh, was walking that same uh, 10 miles in the other direction was another matter, right? Uh, It was a march or merely a plod then, but going it was all downhill with the wind at his back walking with heart. Now, I want to change the picture for a moment, shall we? Let's think about Sunday morning. And to begin with, I'm going to excuse all of you who have young kids and even those who have teenagers. It's not fair for me to ask this question to you 
because I remember those days when it could seem like a week's worth of work just to get out of the house on any given morning, much less on Sunday with the devil nipping at your heels. But for the rest of you, when it's Sunday and when you get out of bed and when you think about getting dressed and making your way here, just what is going on in your heart? Do you feel a sense of anticipation? Are you looking forward to being with God's people and worshiping God? Or is it just another chore, something else you must do and get through? And if you're sitting there thinking, I wish I could get to the place with anticipation, but it's just so hard. Can I tell you, frankly, it does not have to be that way. You see, this, too, is a decision we make. And with a little effort and a little practice, uh, you will discover that you begin looking forward to Sunday mornings and going to church. You see, that's what it means to be with heart or keeping your spiritual further, fervor. And it is something that you decide to do. As Christians... We're going to walk the walk without hesitating, without holding anything back, and we are going to do it with heart. And then briefly, the last phrase in, in verse 11 reminds us the reason we do those things. We do them for the Lord. Verse 11 again, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. We do the things we do because we want to serve our Lord, who died in our place to save us from the darkness. We love because... We're loved. We live the way we do because we love the one who loved us. So we serve him. We serve not to gain favor. We serve because we are favored. And serving God is just another way of saying we love him. So we really mean it when we say we're brothers and sisters. We love each other, love each other just as... We love our immediate families, and even better because we're going to put the other person first. And we walk the Christian walk without compromise and with heart as we, by our service, declare our love for God. Now, that's what Paul said in verses 10 and 11. And he said it succinctly, without elaboration. He says it clearly, without any shading. He says it pointedly to get past our defenses. And what follows in verses 12 and 13, which we're going to consider briefly, closes out this segment. And it's a series of succinct, concise statements, five in all. And as it turns out, they're not complete sentences themselves, but there are a series, and here's that word again, that term again, the participial phrases. And they come to us in such a way that we experience them in rapid succession, and there's a force to them that I think we can feel. They're typically translated as the imperative, which, uh, that is, as a commands, uh, and, and that, as we will see, is not wrong, but there may be a better way of understanding them. And so what I want to do is to have those uh, verses, 12 and uh, 13, on the screen, if we can, and um, as the way the NIV translates them. But I'm going to read them to you in a way in which I believe will reflect how they would sound in Greek. Uh, not the Greek words. I'm using English words again. So here we go, beginning of verse 12 uh, through 13. 
in hope, rejoicing. In tribulation, persevering. In prayer, continuing. As for the needs of the saints, giving. And as for welcoming others, always doing it. And when I read that, even in the English, I feel the power of those words. And it shouldn't surprise us because it is the Word of God after all. But, but their crisp nature and their rapid-fire delivery, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, fills them with strength, which I think we can feel in our souls. And I don't want to take away from the power that that succinctness imparts, but in order to drive home their meaning, and because this is the way the Word of God is handled, we're going to look at each of them a little bit more in depth. So first, as believers, we have hope. Not, not just a hope-so kind of thing, but a confident expectation. And because we have that, that ought to make us rejoice. And then when we face tribulation, as we must in this life, we belong to God Almighty who loved us and sent his Son for us, who has promised never to leave us or forsake us. And so we can persevere. Third, we, we have the tremendous privilege of prayer. We come to God not in our own merit, but in the name of his Son, bought by his blood, to the only God who is a God who answers prayers, making our prayers, as small as they might seem to us, the most powerful force that a human being can wield in this world, which changes the course of eternity. Our prayers matter, and so we keep on praying. And fourth, we are a people of faith, trusting in God and his provision for us and others. So when we see a brother or sister in need, we give. We're glad to do it. We're not regretting it even for a moment. We give freely and find freedom in giving. And finally, we have been welcomed into the kingdom of God, undeserving, in need, with nothing to offer. Because of that, our hearts are changed. And we welcome others, not wanting anything from them but friendship and gladly giving ourselves to them for the same purpose. Now, every one of those phrases we looked at are, grammatically speaking, uh, in the present tense and the active voice. And it means this. <laughs> These are things we do. And these are things we do continually as a matter of course as we live out our lives. They are all participles, and they can all be translated as imperatives or commands. But the basic nature of a participle is to modify or to describe. So what's really happening here is we're being told who we truly are. It tells us what it means to be a Christian. This is our new nature imparted to us by the Spirit of the living God when we were born again, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And when we think these things as a command, or when we understand them as describing our new nature and begin living them out, we find that we are walking with God in the power of His Spirit. And some of these things you may come, may come easily to you, and others you're going to find more difficult. 
but every one of them is in you if you belong to God. And as you try to practice them, you find that you can. <laughs> At some point, sooner for some of you and some of these things, and later for others, we're all still sinners, but it is who you are. You will find great joy in living them out. Just as you can make a decision to love someone and find out that you really end up loving them, and just as you can practice uh, uh, putting your heart in what you do, soon you, you can find that you're going there of its own accord, that heart of yours. And so as you do these things, you discover that you're set free to do them, not as some kind of a chore, but just as if you were meant to do them which you are. It's who you are. So, you know how we say we're brothers and sisters? Well, we mean it. Our love for each other is like the love others have for the biological family. And even better, because we're going to put the other person first. We walk the Christian walk without compromise and with heart as we by our service declare our love for God in hope rejoicing in tribulation persevering in prayer continuing as for the needs of the saints giving and as for welcoming others always doing it it's who we are we are Christians we have been born again we are the light of the world. So now go. We'll go. And we'll shine for our God in the dark places of our world. It's who we are. It's what we're called to be. To God. God alone be the glory. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you, uh, Lord, for um, the promise that not only will you not forsake us, not only will you not leave us, but you will continue that work that you have begun in us. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship one more time.